Hey guys, Coach Dennis here with the Endurance Project. Haven't spoken to you guys in, oh, about two weeks, close to two weeks when I was in Canada last, so figured I would touch base and uh, get out a little bit more content. And today I want to talk to you guys about ADS, which is Aerobic Deficiency Syndrome. What it is, how to avoid it, and why it's likely what's holding you back in your endurance-specific uh sport um whatever that may be running or ocr or cross-country skiing whatever and so ads is essentially just what it means is that you spend way too much of your time above your thresholds up into the anaerobic side of things or you maybe spend too little or too much time in the middle rather so you either spend too much time at one end of the other uh spectrum or you spend too much time in the middle rather than having a wide range of different um you know physiological uh stresses so that you can adapt to several different types of uh physiological changes and what this does is it makes you very one-dimensional so for instance if you train at the very high end, you know, you're training completely, mostly anaerobic all the time. And, you know, you go out for any type of run and within the first couple of minutes, you know, you don't even bother doing a true warm up. You're right into fast paced tempo or, you know, fast race pace type efforts. And you're already elevating your heart rate above the, you know, aerobic threshold and getting up past the lactic threshold so that you're basically completely anaerobic. You become very, very decent at those anaerobic efforts and you can, you know, crush a, a short distance type race. Normally you, you know, might be able to do really well in say a 1500 meter or five up to even 5k potentially. Um, but then after that, things start falling apart and you no longer can maintain, you know, even a decent relative percentage of your max effort be that pace or heart rate or both because all you've done is completely, you know, built up your ability to process, you know, ATP shortly and you can, you know, you, you basically the mitochondria is not built up and you, you're not able to, you have no slow, slow twitch muscle fibers or you just don't have many or you haven't worked on trying to build the mitochondria that make up those. So you're always operating at, you know, this high-end level, but it's not sustainable for very long, obviously. So, you know, the higher percentage you're operating at relative to your max heart rate and then relative to your, you know, velocity at VO2 max, then the harder it's going to be to maintain for a longer period of time, which is why, you know, very... Uh, anaerobic type athletes, sprinters, or, you know, ball sport athletes, crossfitters. It's why they really struggle when it comes to the endurance side of things because they've not trained their body to operate efficiently and economically. It's just all out, you know, just like, uh, you know, prime example would be if you have a, a race car, you know, race cars aren't designed to have good fuel consumption nobody cares how 
well their fuel consumption is because everything's a short you know straight away quarter mile run or if it's a indy car type uh car or nascar then nobody really cares how fast they burn through fuel because they know they can get to the finish line before they run out or they are going to refuel along the way not a big issue whereas if you're more of an endurance type athlete you want to try to hold on to your energy stores as long as possible and the primary one being glycogen in the sense that you know the body needs glycogen obviously to work and the muscles need glycogen and many of the organs need glycogen but there's a transition point um and this is usually what is considered the aerobic threshold or ventilatory threshold um one and then two you know if you're looking at um testing from a vo2 max standpoint and what this comes down to is that point where you know you cross over from being exclusively burning fat which is a low low uh effort level which is you know low heart rate effort and then somewhere along the way as you gradually increase intensity then you get closer to that you know say 50% point where you're burning maybe 50% uh fats 50% glycogen so that's somewhere in that range of around aerobic threshold and then once you go over that and you overstep the primary fuel being fats and get into most of all the fuel being glycogen then you are now beyond that threshold and that's where the higher you go up that uh, chart the worse it gets in terms of being able to maintain so when you're 100% burning glycogen which is basically an all-out max sprint type effort then or it actually doesn't even necessarily have to be uh, all-out max sprint type effort for some people because if you're very aerobically deficient it can happen way, you know, below your actual uh, sprinting and max effort ability. So this is where aerobic deficiency syndrome kind of comes into play in the sense that so many athletes spend so much time either at one end of the spectrum or the other, but most spend it right in the middle. So you have obviously your high end, which is your anaerobic uh, thresholds and your higher output sprint type um, explosive type work then you have your very low end which is your very easy aerobic something you can do all day you know just easy aerobic work and then you have in your middle which is kind of the gray zone which is where a lot of people fall into the middle and in, into that realm because they either one have this mentality that going super easy has no benefit and then on the other end they have this idea that the harder they go all the time every single day the better they're going to get and the fit the better their fitness will improve which is true you know at the low-end level and for the immediate near-term goals if your goals is to improve fitness really quick you can do so with high output high intensity anaerobic hit type workouts and you can get a lot of bang for your buck in very short time durations you can do very short high intensity intervals um, tabatas 
um, HIT, which is the high intensity interval training, um, you know, kind of coined right recently by Cro- CrossFit. These workouts will get you fit fast. It'll typically uh, cut body fat fast and it'll get you in really good shape, especially uh, aesthetically. But it's it's not sustainable for very long, and that's where people end up getting in trouble. Is because you know, let's say you're new to the sport, any sport, whatever that is. I mean, especially endurance uh, specific type sport, and you're coming off the couch or just basically you know doing a couch to five k program, and then all of a sudden you want to start getting more serious about it, and you want to improve your fitness, and that be VO two max and uh, cardiac output. Um, muscle endurance, everything, then you would be, you would, you would see the most benefits from pushing really hard regularly. But again, it doesn't last very long and you cannot maintain that for very long. And I've seen this with hundreds of athletes over the years and Everybody has their breaking point. Some last longer than others. Some can get away with it for months. Some can get away with it for a year or two. I mean, I've seen some athletes that's been able to maintain it for up to a couple years of putting in damn near, you know, not all out max effort, but putting in, you know, 85%, 90% effort day in, day out. And they can somehow balance it. And whether it be, you know, genetics or they just happen to have maybe a better diet or whatever it is that they have that is allowing them to do so, they can do it a little bit longer than the rest of us. But I've never seen anybody maintain it for very long beyond two years without having a complete crash and burn. And typically, the longer you can sustain it, the more drastic the fall off is once you actually do hit your breaking point. Um, few years back, I, I coached an athlete who, you know, he, he came to me and he was completely out of shape, but he was a former runner and he was, you know, overweight by quite a bit and he was getting back into running. We started working together and he went from a 348 marathon down to a 256 in his uh, first year after working with me. And then over the next 18 months, maybe, we took him down to I took him down to 232 and but in the in that time frame you know we were butting heads a lot and he was constantly um, going out and doing extra workouts or running the workouts way harder than I was you know designing you know if I said it was an e- easy uh, aerobic day keep your heart rate below 150 beats a minute you know I'd see the data that he posted on Strava or whatever and it would be a 10-mile run at 172 beats a minute. And eventually, we just kind of had a falling out, and it was, you know, it came down to me just saying, look, you know, I can't put up with this. I can't allow you to just destroy yourself, and, um, you know, no matter what. And in his mind, he thought that I was sabotaging him. I mean, that was his words because, you know, at the time, we were actually, like, you know, training together, running together, and he would beat me in races and stuff, and, you know, he was viewing it as me trying to hold him back so that he wouldn't gap me and, you know, become so much better than me, which was completely crazy. But anyways, um, so long story short, um, he, you know, got a different coach and 
the guy he worked with was very much the same type mindset that he was, just push, push, push all the time. And who coincidentally now um, also has like a heart condition who can no longer train and run. But, um, you know, they were two peas in a pod and this, you know, coach allowed him to just do whatever. And as long as like those hard efforts were like looking good and the races were looking good, everything was fine. But this coach never, I don't think, took into account like his overall health and so after about 18 months working with the other coach he he dropped his time a lot I mean he dropped like I said I had him down to 232 and then he went down all the way to 224 in the marathon I was hoping to hit some Olympic Olympic trial qualifying times and he was getting close and then all of a sudden the wheels fell off completely and you know, I would watch, you know, on Estrava and I would see, you know, races where he just gradually started declining and just kept declining, kept declining. And so he reached out to me one day and, you know, kind of asked me what I thought. And I told him and I guess that wasn't the answer he was looking for. So he kept on doing what he was doing. And then eventually um, the wheels completely fell off. And now, you know, I saw he, he, you know, he completely, you know, he was having all kinds of health issues and was having all kinds of setbacks, injuries, and just chronically fatigued and, you know, was putting on weight despite like, you know, converting to a vegan diet and trying to get his health right. And he just was having all kinds of issues and um, went in and got tested for very low testosterone. And so, I mean, it was every like a myriad of issues that you could throw that just completely you know, messed him up. And so again, like I said, he recently ran a marathon and just, you know, barely broke three hours. And, you know, this was a guy that was running sub two thirty pretty easily, not too long ago. And when I say not too long ago, only three, four years ago. So he's completely fallen off and he'll likely never get back to where he was at unless he decides to truly take into account what he's done to his body and why he's done it and this is the primary example of what happens with you know uh the ads that we've you know i'm talking about with the aerobic deficiency syndrome is that on one end of the spectrum you can push your body so hard like he did to where you just cannot maintain any kind of you know moderate aerobic output for very long because you've completely destroyed that uh, physiological pathway and you've not built up the mitochondria you've not you know learned to allow your body to um, become more metabolic efficient burning fat so it's always such a high output and you know it's just like revving a car at near max rpm all the time doesn't take you know a master uh, engineer or mechanic to know that you're going to end up blowing the engine pretty soon. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is when you have an athlete who does nothing but low, low, low end aerobic uh, work. And now this isn't the exact what maybe Phil Maffetone, who coined the whole um, term aerobic deficiency syndrome, as well as math, which is, you know, maximum aerobic function. Those are two uh, terms he coined, you know, quite some time back. But, you know, in his terms, I believe, unless it's changed over the last few years, uh, ADS only represents going hard all the time and nothing else. Whereas over my years and my experience, 
as a coach with a lot of athletes, I've kind of put all ends of the spectrum, a spectrum plus the middle ground as being ADS. So on the other end of the spectrum, you can get into where all you do is low, low, low end aerobic, which is basically, um, you know, you see a lot of these ultra runners do it where everything's a slow, 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 like zone two or low, low zone three and below all the time, all the time, never touching on anything else. And while from a scientific standpoint, this may not be so much a lack of aerobic uh, deficiency as much as it is uh, mechanical and um, basically a mechanical deficiency. So those who always practice the low-end aerobic, they never really build the strength and the power and they never really are able to utilize you know all the ATP type development that you do get from the higher intensity they never really boost their uh, vo2 max or their vo you know velocity at vo2 max they don't boost their lactic thresholds or even their aerobic thresholds because they're always staying below them so they never boost them any further and they just stay stagnant and I also consider that aerobic deficiency syndrome even though like I said the terminology could be a little off and then you have the middle ground which is people who just constantly train in like zone three which they call zone three syndrome and it's basically training in these low you know mid range zones where you're not going hard enough to elicit any kind of benefits for your lactic threshold or you're not uh benefiting from uh, getting better at utilizing and um, staving off like lactic buildup or getting better at the ATP um, buffering, but you're working too hard to get any true aerobic adaptations. So you basically just are in a constant maintenance area is what it more or less kind of is. But what a lot of people do is they stay in this little gray zone and it doesn't have a very big window. So you're never very high and you're never very low, but you're just stuck in this middle ground where there's no development. And once you've kind of maximized all you can get within that zone, now this little area in the middle is usually pretty good for people coming out and starting out um, in the endurance world. They are operating in that you know 80% of their max heart rate or max VO2, and they're in that little area where they're getting stronger, they're working on building their uh, mechanics and mechanical efficiency, they're working on aerob- aerobic adaptations, and flirting right on the um, bottom edge of lactic threshold, but what they don't do is, well, it's not that they don't do it, it's just that if you always stay in that little uh, window, then anything way above that for any duration of time is going to be very stressful for your body. Anything below those numbers or the bottom, you know, of that window is going to be very stressful over a long period of time. So this would be like someone who gets very, very good at say maybe 5k, 10k type running and they get pretty efficient at that. But 
anything where they have to try to like drop down and run a really fast 400 meters or even a fast 1500 meters they're not very good at and that's because they don't have that higher end anaerobic threshold or they haven't worked on that um, ATP type cycling and working on that end of the spectrum so it's hard for them to go higher intensity above that little window that they trained in whereas on the other end of that spectrum if they slow the pace down but not by a whole lot and need to go longer say like a marathon then they struggle to do that as well because again they've kind of pigeonholed themselves in this little area and without doing any more work on each side of that window then they can know that they can't improve those areas so a lot of times people you know, I, I guess they get comfortable in what they, you know, regularly do and where they think they're seeing results. But nine times out of 10, you'll see so much stagnation in all three of these if they're done too much. I mean, I've seen athletes who train so much on the high end anaerobic side who build, you know, tremendous ability to do these short duration, high intensity outputs like CrossFit. They build tremendous muscle, but eventually their body just breaks down and it just falls apart. If you were going to do one particular type of workout for long duration, the high end anaerobic would be the last thing you'd want to do in terms of being able to maintain overall health and well-being, which is why you regularly see these CrossFitters or you know, some of these high-end, like, you know, high-intensity type athletes lasting for very long in their sport unless they put a lot of focus on the aerobic, low-end, base-building type stuff too. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you'll see these low-end, very easy aerobic, you know, monsters who can go for days and days and days at a very low intensity. I mean, these are your, you know, people doing these six-day races at, not a fast pace, but they just stay out there and maintain. But then you get them in a 5K and they are absolutely terrible relative to what you would think they would be. You know, you'll see this a lot where you'll see someone be able to put up a decent, you know, 100 mile run, for instance, you know, maybe sub 20 hours, but they can't break 20 minutes for a 5K. So, um, and then again, in the middle, you have those who kind of teeter on each side but they're never really that good at any one thing because if the race gets too fast, then they don't have that physiological adaptation to respond to a faster, higher intensity. And then they don't have the endurance to maintain and sustain a lower intensity for a long, long period of time. So they're just kind of stuck in the middle and it's hard for them to really break out and find any one area because there's not too many sports that do just um, a lot of moderate effort. It's either you need to maintain fast, high intensity for a shorter duration, or you need to maintain, you know, low end, you know, pure aerobic for a long, long period of time. Not a lot of sports in the middle where you just kind of hang out for a while. So that's the thing that, you know, I always try to program and incorporate with my athletes is that we touch on all areas all the time, um, sometimes all in the same workout and many times actually all in the same workout where, you know, we'll start out 
very very easy aerobic um, working on pure aerobic uh, capacity and then we'll ramp it up to um, you know super high intensity where you're really operating in a high high intensity and then bring it back down to maybe a moderate zone or even a low end aerobic zone again and then bring it back up and then of course between say one end of the spectrum or the other like you may have a very very easy day one day where you're operating below 60 70 percent of your heart rate max heart rate which is in, in that one zone one zone two area then if you you know the following day you may have a high high intensity where you're operating 85 percent or greater and improve that end of the you know physiological stressor adaptation area and then balance it out in the middle with uh moderate stuff in between so um again there's many ways to do this you know in terms of running you've got it where it's going to be a high 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 you know intensity run maybe where you're close to max and then a low intensity run then something in the middle will balance the certain you know areas but um anaerobic for instance is pretty much anything where you're requiring you know mostly all atp to produce fuel and energy which is going to be very short-lived and not too long a duration this could be you know short quick sprints you know maybe 30 40 second max type effort sprints with recoveries between or this could be simply like higher end um, olympic lifting anything that works on those um you know fast twitch muscles that rely primarily if not solely on um, ATP. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you want to work on slow twitch muscles and the energy sources, you know, metabolic sources that allow you to burn primarily fat, if not all fat, and allows you to, you know, breathe in and take in as much, as much oxygen as possible, um, which is, again, not taxing on the body. Um, it's good for building aerobic capacity, but as well as recovery and regeneration between hard workouts. So these are just some ways to look at what ADS is. And like I said, um, the true definition, I guess, by Phil Maffetone um, kind of only encompasses only doing all out anaerobic. So that's what he considers ADS. If you do too much all out anaerobic, then you know, eventually your aerobic engine suffers and you may be able to, you know, do 10, 15 minutes of hard high-end output and be one of the best athletes in the world at that. But then something that may require you to go down to 60% of max heart rate and go for five hours, you couldn't do no matter how good of an athlete you are on the other end of the spectrum. So it would look like, for instance, a... Usain Bolt, who is one of the best athletes to ever exist, and in any term, you know, obviously sprinting or something explosive, um, high output, he's one of the best type athletes. But then he would clearly be horrible if you try to get him out and have him do a 10K run or a marathon, even. So, um, again, two very different ends of the spectrum and two different, um, completely physiological, uh, you know, systems that you're trying to stress and work. And it's hard to try to balance that a lot of times, especially if you don't necessarily understand the systems yourself and you don't understand the science behind them and how to exploit them or take advantage of each one of them and work on each one of them. So 
this is where I would highly recommend, you know, either one, hiring a coach if you want, or at least reaching out to people that have an insight and knowledge of this. And I'm clearly not the only one by any chance, but, you know, I do have a lot of years experience doing this and I've built a pretty good program that I think touches on all these um, systems very well and balances them very well. And it's not so much even putting together a system that throws them all in there because any system can kind of do that. But what I found over the years is a pretty good balance that blends them all together and allows the athlete to not only continue to progress, you know, week to week, but also recover from that week and slidely keep inching the, you know, meter a bit forward and, and moving the meter, meter uh, sorry, needle a bit forward so that they continue progressing, but not at such a rate that they are neglecting another system and burning out in the process. So, like I always try to tell everybody, I would rather, you know, my athletes move to get, you know, move forward an inch each day, you know, over the entire year so that they cover 365 inches over the year rather than make one big jump where it's, you know, you cover 200 inches all at once and then you get injured and you go back 100 in- inches and then you recover and go 50 inches more and you're just going back and forth in that yo-yo effect where it's, you know, slight progression forward or big progression forward and then boom, big injury, big regression, keep repeating year in, year out. That's what burns athletes out long before they're, you know, done or long before they've reached their potential. But you can only abuse your body so much or you can only not apply enough stress to where you either one burn it out and you abuse yourself and you flame out too early or you don't ever reach your potential because you never push hard enough at all so um, it's a fine balance very delicate but I definitely think that if you start incorporating these this aspect into your training and learning how to balance each end of the spectrum as well as the middle ground then you'll see the greatest results not for not just for in general in terms of reaching your potential but also in regards to your longevity in the sport and how long you can sustain your performance for years to come so if you guys find this uh content you know positive then you know let me know share it um you know pass it along and if you guys are looking for coaches or a coach um you know reach out to me or reach out to my other coaches in the group um like i said you know the last couple podcasts i've mentioned them um i have three other female coaches involved now that work with me and Alyssa holly morgan schultz and callie schweikart all three really good athletes in the OCR community, high rocks community, um, been kicking ass lately. So, um, they have a breadth of knowledge and, um, I think you guys between me or them three, between the four of us, I think you guys can find a coach that you'll really enjoy working with who share all the same principles and, um, philosophies of training. So reach out to one of us and, um, we'll talk to you next time. Peace out.